and they decided just have a service on the first Sunday night. So uh, tonight I'll be preaching over there and we'll see what happens, right? Um, man, thank you for leading us in the goodness of the Lord because that song just kind of gets me every time. All my life you have been faithful. I don't know if you think this way, but when I sing that song and I hear it, I think of the moments in my life that that was so clear to me, that the Lord was faithful. Now, my mom and dad told me, my mom, I believe, primarily told me when I was a year of, of age, I had double pneumonia and was in the Silicaga Hospital. Now, I guess I could just tell you that was in 1952, so... Medical has really improved since 1952. So I just think about those moments that you have through life. Some of you probably in this room have had close calls. Maybe in a car wreck or something. Something came way too close to you that could have been fatal. And yet, it's those kind of things that pop up in my mind when I think about all my life, the Lord has been faithful well, I'm going to take you to a passage in 2 Chronicles, chapter 6 and chapter 7. Um, I'm going to be reading from chapter 6 first, but the most quoted verse about revival is 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Now, here's the interesting thing about this book called 1 and 2 Chronicles. In the Hebrew Bible, this was the last book. It wasn't Malachi. It was Chronicles. If you have a, a Hebrew Old Testament, Hebrew Bible is the Old Testament. The last book is Chronicles. It's one of the last books that were written. And we don't know a lot. They think Ezra had a, a, a lot to do with writing that. But it's someone who's really in the latter part of Israel's history before this, this time frame between that and Jesus coming that they went through and they chronicled all of the history that they felt was necessary for the people of Israel to know their history. Interesting thing that the first chapter in Chronicles, first and second Chronicles used to be just one book, and it is one book. Translators divided it up. This book begins with a genealogy that starts with Adam. I think that's covering some space, right? And I know there's people think, I've had, I've had some people kind of reach out to me that, that what do you think about the gap theory and what do you think about what was before Genesis 1 or Genesis 1-2? I was like, I don't know and I really don't care, but I do know this, that what we have in God's word is how everything got started and that God has been the primary source of everything that we lack or needed and when we read things like what we're going to read this morning, God has a promise that he, when he promises, you can rest on it. And the promise he gives in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you can pull that. It's kind of like Jeremiah 29. So many people pull out Jeremiah 29, 11, and they kind of make that for them. Well, we know the context does not really fit that. You can believe the faithfulness of God and how he's expressed that. But he wrote that for a specific context. And if, you, if we read 2 Chronicles 7, 14 without context, well, we kind of miss the point. It is a great verse. But you have to go back to chapter 6 
And, and when you, if you have your Bibles open, First Chronicles ends with David's death. And right before David dies, he has this desire to build a permanent sanctuary for the Lord. That tabernacle was a portable place of worship and he really had a passion to build a temple unto God that would replace that portable tabernacle. But God told him he could not build it because he was a man of war, he was a warrior, and he had shed blood. And he says, I'm not going to let you build that temple, that permanent place of worship. But what David did was, was he raised all the money. He raised all the materials. He collected everything. He said, well, if I can't build it, I'm going to make it as easy for my son as possible, Solomon. And he did. He storehoused all kinds of stuff. And Solomon was the one that God was going to say, you're the one that's going to orchestrate and oversee the building of this temple. Now, when we get into chapter 6, there's a prayer. And if you're there, there's a prayer. And I'm going to begin reading verse 12 here in just a moment. But there's a prayer that Solomon starts praying in the first part of, of chapter 6, there's this move of God. The, the priests have went into the newly built temple and the glory of God comes in and they can't even stay inside the temple. This is the priests. The only people that could go inside the temple were priests. And the, good, the presence of God invaded that new temple so to the extent that the priests all had to leave the building. And then here comes along Solomon and Solomon begins a prayer and it says in verse 12 that he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. And I'm reading now the NAS, New American Standard. I'm sorry about this. I'm just, I just switched things. And there's a reason why I went with the NAS. I might mention that in just a moment. But he said he stood at the altar of the, of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel. And he spread out his hands for Solomon had made a bronze platform. Five cubics long, five cubics wide, and three cubics high, and had set it in the midst of the courtyard. And he stood on it, knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. He spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, and he begins to pray this prayer, and this prayer goes for a long ways. He says, Lord, Yahweh, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven and on earth, keeping your covenant and your faithfulness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, you who have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you promised him, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now, most of the things that we remember about Solomon is the latter part of his life, right? When, I mean, I don't know why anybody wants that many wives, Right? That's trouble. That's trouble. And he had trouble. He had lots and lots of trouble. The more wives he got, I'm not, I love having a wife. Let me get that clear, okay? But we, we just remember him as being so out of it, so wrapped up in his world of opulence and, and the wealth and the women and, and he just got so far off track. But that is not the man that you see here. This is a man on the more the most important days of Israel's history 
builds a platform that's five cubics square. You know how many feet that is? Seven and a half feet. One and a half foot per cubic. Seven and a half feet. That's not much of this platform. And three cubics high, which is like four and a half feet. It shows you the humility of this man that on this great day, he built a platform with thousands and thousands of people all around him. And he gets on this platform and what does he do? He kneels down and raises his hand and begins to pray to God. This is not a man that's just conceited with what he has and who he is. This is a humble man. At this point in his life, he has surrendered himself to the Lord and begins to pray. He begins to call upon God. Lord, God of Israel, there's no God like you. And your covenant, your faithfulness, and he's extolling how God has been faithful to them. And the glory of God was so present that when this prayer is answered, you can see some of the most extreme things that happened in chapter 7. But let me go to chapter 6, verse 41. When he finished his praying, this is how he finished his prayer. I mean, almost the whole chapter is a prayer. Now then arise, Lord God, to your resting place, you in the ark of your might, and let your priests, Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your godly ones rejoice in what is good. Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember your faithfulness to your servant, David. You see a man that is humble, He knows he's only in the position he's in because David gave way to him, blessed him. He was the one that was supposed to follow. There was this all kind of trouble in that transition when one of David's other sons thought he should be the next king. And I'm not going to go into all that, but Solomon was God's pick. And don't think for a moment that Solomon and the people were prepared for what happened after he finished praying. When you look at the very first part of chapter 7, it says fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices. Now, I don't know how to tell you this, but 22,000 cattle was sacrificed. That's a lot of cattle. But 120,000 goats and sheep were sacrificed. That just kind of like is mind-boggling to us that, that this was part of how they were just exorbitant in their worship. And the, and the fire of God came down. I tell you what, that would have got my attention. And it got the attention of the people of Israel. And so for seven days after that, in chapter seven, for seven days, the people celebrated the dedication and, and worship was nonstop. Nobody went home for those seven days. Everybody stayed right there. I think I would have stayed if I'd seen that. But this was how so special this was, that the temple, this fairly new, this newly built temple, so, so much beauty to it, and the presence of God was in that temple. The priest came outside, and the presence of God begins to descend where there's this outpouring of God's presence through this fire that came down. 
And on the eighth day, there was a closing assembly. And Solomon blessed the people. And the people, it says, left with joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for the people of Israel. And Solomon retired that night, went to his palace. I don't know what translation you're reading out of, but all this incredible move of God. And he goes to his palace and it says the Lord appeared to him. In verse 12, the Lord appeared to him that very night. And this is what the Lord said to him. I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And then the Lord gives Solomon a hypothetical setting. This is one of the reasons why I didn't go with the ESV because it says, and when I shut up heavens, that's a poor translation. This is a word that's hypothetical, if. And it's only used about four times in all the Old Testament. It is, it is so exact that God was giving him a hypothetical situation. He said, if I shut up the heavens, this is verse 13. Remember, we're leading into verse 14, which is the most quoted verse about revival. But you can't really read 14 and, and not get the gist of what's leading up to that. The Lord appears to Solomon personally in the night. That had to be something. And he told him, says, I've heard your prayer. You prayed a good prayer. I've heard it. And I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a plague among my people. I know we quote verse, the very next, next verse a lot, but revival comes when there's a reality that there's a need. And the Lord has given him a what if, and that's what I titled this message, what if. What if I shut off the blessings of the rain and I shut off the protection from locusts and I just turn down anything that would be a plague? If I release all of these things to happen, this is what you should do. If these things happen, this is what you should do. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That is one of the great promises in the word of God. All on the basis of a hypothetical, if God begins to show judgment by doing all of these things, that, re, that really kind of cancels the blessings of life, the goodness that comes to our lives, not necessarily a fellowship with us. He didn't say, I'm going to break off fellowship with you. He said, if these things happen, there's, there's something that's going on that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Then he continues his promise. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house so that my name may be there forever. 
And my eyes and my heart will be there always. Boy, you just, it couldn't have been a better song. All my life, you've been faithful. In every step of the way, Lord, you've been there. And this is what he's saying to them. I'm with you all the way. Even when they messed up, God did not abandon them. He just withheld the blessing. He didn't pull away from them. He was constantly sending. You think about the prophets, that some of them, they just killed the prophets. They didn't want to hear a correction. They didn't want to hear the word from the Lord. They wanted to continue in their sin. And God kept sending prophet after prophet because he loved them. He hadn't abandoned them. They had abandoned him. And the promises that he's given is, and I think sometimes we almost feel like God abandons us when we don't feel his presence. That maybe we like, you know, I, I don't feel the presence of God. Okay. Does that mean he's left us? Does that mean if we don't feel his presence, some sense of his presence, but this is what he's, he's reminding them that I'm going to withhold certain blessings, but I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to do everything I he, he says, I'm going to do that which brings you back. I'm, the life that's going to be harder for you is not to punish you, but it's to bring you back into fellowship. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, to do according to everything that I have commanded you and keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish your royal. Think about what God promised this young king. It took about seven years for him to build that temple. So he's seven years into being king, and he's had one of the most phenomenal revelations and, and displays of God's presence that you could imagine. And this is what God's telling him. I'm going to establish your royal throne as I covenanted with your father David, saying, "If you shall, you shall not lack a man to be ruler in the house of Israel. In Israel. When I, when if we decide to set aside time to seek the Lord, I believe we can say we expect God to answer. If we seek his face, you know, I, this revival coming up Sunday, I was, I was raised in the pre-electronic years. Amen. It was... It was you went to bed when it got dark because we didn't even have a television. We'd go to Zela Edwards and ask her if we could watch Bonanza. And then Daddy would find out and says, don't you be asking the neighbor for you to go. Just like, but it's Bonanza. And it's Saturday night. He finally bought a television. But I want to tell you this. When there was a revival, we went every night. Homework didn't matter. You can do that later. And my mother was a revival. She, she, she was a radar for a revival. Especially if it was Buell Pitts. If Dennis Johnson was here, he could tell you that this guy was legendary in the church of God. He would scare the daylights out of you if he was in revival. Because he had a tendency to stop in his preaching and just call you out. Come up here, I'm going to pray for you. And I got to be one of his regulars. I got to be one of his regulars. And mother said, Buell Pitts is preaching revival and such and such. I, I, I got homework. And she says, I don't, you can do that later. She says, but I, I really need to finish this paper. You can do that later. And I'd find myself 
sitting behind someone and I would hide. I would be down behind them and I'd just peep up every now and then to see what was going on. And sure enough, he would catch me almost every time said, Charles, come up here. And I was like, oh man, again, what is wrong with me? You want to pray for me every revival? I can't understand this. And, and I said, please don't tell everybody how bad I am. I, I, you know, I, I didn't know what he was going to say. And he says, God's got a purpose for you, Charles, and I want to pray over you. And and I'm telling you, there was hardly ever an exception. He always called me out. If he had somebody to pray for, I was the volunteer. It was, I wasn't even volunteering. But we went to every revival. Nothing was more important than meeting with God. And sadly to say, I think the what ifs is taking place in our culture today. When God said he's going to withhold certain things from us, if we get off track, I think the church has gotten just a little off track where too many other things compete with meeting with God. And this is the what if that God is dealing with Solomon. If you see some things changing that is taking you further from me, I'm going to let you know by withholding certain things from you. And somewhere in all of this, you'll get the discernment that it's time to realize I've been focused on the wrong thing, putting too much energy into stuff that does not matter. And that the spiritual things that we need is the most important thing in our lives. And just maybe, just Maybe next week will be a refreshing from above that invades this house. I hope so. I'm praying for that. What if many times leaves us regretting that we didn't do what God has called us to do? The what if is when God just happens to start giving us signals that we're not where we need to be. And he'll do that. You know why he'll do that? Is because he wants us to have conviction as to where we're at and where we need to be. Regret can suffocate people because they see things that they missed. Solomon seems to know well his own family when he prayed the what if. When he began to see what he needed to do. God speaking to him in the middle of the night. And what a promise God gave to him. In verse 17, I'll read it again, and we'll read a little bit more in just a moment. He says, but as for you, if you walk before me as your father, David, do according to everything that I commanded you, keep my statutes, my ordinances, you just keep going after me, then I will establish your royal throne, throne as I covenanted with your father, David, saying, you will not lack a man to be ruler in Israel. Regrettably, later on in his life, Solomon got off track, got off track seriously wrong, swept up into personal wealth and pleasure, and, and he really became suspicious of everybody around him, and he didn't finish well. But in verse 19, but if you turn away, this is God's promise, but if you turn away and abandon my statutes and my commandments, which I've set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I uproot you from my land, 
which I have given you, and this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and an object of scorn among all peoples. As for this house which was exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done these things to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them from the land of Egypt, and they adopted other gods and worshipped and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this adversity on them. People outside of Israel, not Jewish people, people that were looking at this on the outside, says, what in the world happened to them? That beautiful temple, it lasted 400 years, just a little over 400 years, before God allowed it to be completely raised to the ground. Think about what God, God gave them this great plan for a temple. Beautiful. It's no telling the kind of worth it had. But in God's eyes, that building meant nothing compared to the hearts of the people. He said, I can wipe that out at any minute. It's not the building that's going to keep you going in the right direction. It is my presence that's going to keep you going in the right direction. Sometimes pain and the pain of soul is what redirects us to God. And when we're hurting there, some of you, some of us this morning may be living with some regret. What if God doesn't want to care for where we're going? We think that. Where is God? What has happened? Has God abandoned me? I believe the what if is for us this morning. When we think about what does God want for my life, what he has in store for us, if we would seek his face and give up and surrender ourselves to him. Our prayer ought to be, Lord, renew us. Renew us. Revive us, O Lord. Fill each heart with thy love. May soul be rekindled from fire from above. Revive us, O Lord. Renew us. Do you think that the church needs reviving in America? Do you think we need an, an, an outpouring of the presence of God? Do you believe in your own life you need a refreshing from above? A hunger and thirst for a fresh outpouring of God's presence in my life. And if you've been going through a series of regrets, God wants to move you beyond that. He wants to heal all of that. The neat thing is, that his forgiveness completely forgives. Not partial. It's completely. When he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west from us, he doesn't have to remove it from himself. He dismisses it from us. And we're the ones who need to be relieved of that guilt and condemnation. Just keep moving forward. I, I hope that you know, I, I've, I've thought of this what if in many different angles about looking back over my life and some of the decisions you make as an adult. And, and I don't know about you, but it kind of makes me nervous when some of the decisions I made, I really I wasn't completely sure. But it was the right decision. It was the right decision and, and probably the history of what happens to us after we make certain decisions, we can probably say, yeah, I missed it there. That didn't turn out really well. 
But when you can over, just as an overview of your life, those intersections that we come to, and we want to say, God, please show me. Show me exactly what you want to do in my life. What am I supposed to do with my life? I want us to stand as our praise team comes back up. CJ and Bailey coming. And if we could do the goodness of God again, I just feel like that's what we need to sing here. Here's what I, I really believe God is speaking. To restore you. To restore you. To refresh you. Maybe you're, you're carrying a lot of regrets this morning. And God wants to just pour all of his power over that and remove that regret. He's got a day for you. He's got, this is the day he's made for you. He's not finished with you. He's not finished with me. He's not finished with any one of us. And it doesn't matter how, what our age is. I've lived most of my life. I understand that. But he's not finished with me. He's not finished with you. He has a plan for your life. He has something ahead of you. Regardless of your age, he has something for you. Lord, I pray this morning that we will come to a place of embracing whatever you have and whatever changes you call us to step into, our priorities, what we put our focus on, what we put our values on, that maybe some of this needs to be reshuffled in our priorities to make you the highest priority in our lives, to love you and to serve you and to worship you and to lay our lives at your feet and say, Lord, whatever I have left, I want you to have. And Lord, I pray for people here in this room that's been carrying a load of regret. Maybe they missed it at some point and they've been battling guilt condemnation that doesn't come from you you're here to lift us above that and those who are here like that Lord I pray that today will be their moment that this altar time be their encounter with you where the regrets leave where the condemnation leaves and you affirm them and you have made them aware that you're not finished with them you're not finished with them. You have plans for them. And if that's you this morning, that you need to bring that heaviness and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Step out and just come. You can stand and kneel here around this front, but I receive, Lord, I receive the refreshing from above. I receive your promises. Your renewal of my life, your renewal of my hope, Lord. My purpose, my destiny, what you have for me, why you created me in the first place. If that's you, I want you to just come and let him refresh that, that purpose. Thank you, Lord.
facing the decision when something's going on that they need your counsel Lord that you speak clearly to them and those who are facing decisions Lord that they would have your counsel and know exactly what to do we believe Lord that you do attend to our petitions and that you're listening to us this morning as we pray for each other that you would have your way and that your will be done in heaven and in earth Lord cover your people Lord today cover them today in Jesus name thank you Lord thank you Lord God bless you have an awesome day today in Jesus name come rest Lord